there, mother lovers. This is Elena Turley, your host, and welcome to the Unboxable Podcast, a place for mothers who are seeking holistic health and maybe a new way to look at a few things. Please enjoy this episode. Well, hello, Mark. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for catching up for a chat. It's yeah, great to connect again. And isn't it interesting? The first time we met was in real life, which is really unusual. Isn't that unusual? What a lovely yeah. thing. Yeah, very rare. And actually yeah. rare on this podcast as well. Usually yeah. the people that I meet on this podcast, we become friends from the podcast. Yeah. So you and I already had a bit of a connection and, and an understanding when we spoke, which was so yeah. nice when we met in real life. We met at the mentor of mine's convention, Tracy Harris, Mums with Hustle, at her beautiful convention, which was a, such a treat to see you speak about your project. I'd love you to tell me who are you, where are you, and what's your greatest passion at the moment? Yeah. So my name's Mark Donkins. I'm currently in Wollongong, New South Wales, and I'm passionately working to yeah further the mission of our not-for-profit that we started, which is called Forever Projects. So we help women break the cycle of poverty and create a self-sustaining future. And uh, as you know, that, that story kind of is connected to our family's journey. So we lived and worked in Tanzania for a couple of years and Three of our six kids are adopted from there. And so, yeah, this is a mission that's really close to our heart in helping women in that culture be empowered to live independent and dignified lives of full of hope and yeah, empowerment. That's amazing. Just amazing. So Forever Projects, right? Yeah. Remember that name, folks. And it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty clever the way you've set it up. I do love the way you've set it up. But I, I would love to hear it to start off with. Just a little about your story and, and how it came to be a thing yeah. for you. Yeah. Well, it was, I think that as I've shared with you and we caught up at Tracy's event, like story is something we just, we, we kind of almost like stumble literally ourselves into. And it was one for us that started when our eldest son, Jackson, was about six months old and we were watching this documentary, my wife Anna and I, one evening, and he's there sleeping soundly in the bassinet and we watched this documentary about the about children who'd been abandoned in an, an orphanage in a developing country and these volunteers had kind of snuck in these cameras to expose some of the human rights kind of abuses and the obstacles that were happening there and we're just watching this going on on the screen and seeing our little boy sleeping soundly and just thinking like how is this right that this is the same world and these kids are just living in such different lives and so that was the kind of spark for us that we just started talking about like what would it look like if our family was was open to kids who didn't have that hope of a family of their own. So that was kind of what started it. Today's episode is brought to you by the Soul Mama Academy. It is a safe space online for mothers only, and it is specifically there for women to access a community, a nurturing community that provides a gentle accountability and encourages you to walk step by step, small choice by small choice towards a holistic and healthy lifestyle. It just allows you to become more relaxed, have more fun and show up as the best mum possible. Visit www.com soulmamaacademy.com s-o-u-l-m-a-m-a-a-c-a-d-e-m-y nice one ladies and then we over, over a long you know years and years and years like you know starting to investigate would that look like being foster parents in australia or potentially being part of the intercountry adoption program in australia and those were steps that we kind of you know took and then it looked like it was going to be some progress and then takes us back as all stories are. But we ended up four years into this process and no 
further along. And at that, that stage, we, we were just so invested in this idea. I think, you know, when you, you take that first step, you come not sure, but like we, we really investigated it and, and trained ourselves into it. And so that was when my wife just one innocent day walking along the beach in Wollongong said, Hey, what if we moved overseas and instead of being victim to the current circumstances, what if we kind of kick the door down and, you know, take this story into our own hands? And so, yeah, that was, I was ready to say yes to that. And we, within six months, moved overseas, started working at international schools. We're both in like education by trade. So yeah, moved to Tanzania and with our four and one-year-old and started, it, I guess the, not, we didn't start straight away, but just that, that was the, yeah. the first steps of that next chapter of our story. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I already really like your wife, the fact that she <laughs> said, let's kick the door down if totally. that was the intention yeah. there. Yeah. And I can yeah. understand that that would be frustrating. The only thing mm. I could relate it to would be a four-year fertility journey that I had. I mean, yeah. how do you feel that yeah, your right. family is destined to be bigger than it is and it takes mm -hmm. a long time? Mm. That can be really hard and it can be a really soul-searching time and it's kind of out of your hands, isn't it? If you're totally. in the hands of, you know, government policy or yeah. something like that, there's that powerlessness and sort of surrender to the process that can be really difficult. And I think yeah. it's amazing that you decided that you made that very bold and very courageous and very kind of seemingly small at the time but mm. actually massive choice. Mm. To, to move overseas. It's, it's a really interesting thing. I'm also fascinated by the fact that you, going back to that initial part of that story, not everybody would watch that documentary and be triggered into action by mm. that injustice that you noticed. And mm. where, do you, where does that come from, do you think? Why is it that you and, and your partner potentially have those mm. values? Is that something you've always felt since you were young? Yeah. Is that something that's... Yeah, so that's definitely part of my wife's story and thinking and, and thinking about how do you like she's a school counselor and a psychologist and so you know getting in like hearing the hearing the words the cry of people who are like in pain like that's part of just the, yeah. the the reason why she got into that in the first place. I think for me, like I'm a math teacher by trade, so I was not necessarily caught up in that profession. Although obviously being an educator is about yeah. creating that space for kids, but I think from from for me personally, I have reflected later on like why was i ready to kind of lean into that yeah. opportunity and say yes and uh, so my mum, i think was a big part of that so she had a long and difficult journey with breast cancer from when i was about uh 14 years old right through to when she passed away a couple of years ago and it was like she was in remission and then it would come back and she eventually turned into secondary bone cancer and she passed away a couple of years ago but i watched her as a teenager and then as a young young man like not become a victim to the to the head that she'd been dealt and she knew what it was like to be journeying through that difficult cancer process. And so shortly after her first kind of experience with that, she joined a, a cancer support group to help women and kind of be by the bedside as they kind of came out from surgery to kind of talk them through things. And so I think, and you know, would have like women in the home and they'd be like sewing all kinds of stuff and raising money for cancer research and stuff. So I think I just downloaded that from her, particularly my dad as well, that like you don't, you don't become a victim to your circumstances. She used to always say like make out of lemons. And, and yeah. I just saw her do that with such grace and beautiful, yeah, just beautiful action, just quiet, but convicted action. So I think that was definitely where I, I would attribute a lot of that to. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's so interesting you mentioned that. It reminds me of a conversation I had with my aunt recently where we talked about the way that we have this kind of inclination in our family, I guess, also family of educators, by the way, out of interest, mm -hmm. that we 
our children always say to us, why do you talk to everyone? It happened to me this morning. I was in a cafe and I'm chatting to the guy next to me in the cafe and his one-year-old daughter, you know, and my daughter says to me for like the millionth time, mom, you talk to anyone. Like you just <laughs> yeah. talk to everyone wherever we go. Why do you do yeah. that? And it's funny because talking to my aunt, my grandparents, her parents, you know, and and that my, apparently my grandmother was like that. And I know on my other side also, my grandmother and grandfather were like that, that mm. when they spoke to someone, they acknowledged the fact that we are all human, no matter mm-hmm. who we are. If we're cleaning the toilets or we're the Queen of England, doesn't matter. Yeah, There's that you're human and yeah. there's that moment of acknowledging another person and looking them in the eye and mm-hmm. actually, you know, just really letting them be seen, heard, and safe for a moment, whatever their existence or reality is. And that there's a huge amount of power in doing that. Mm -hmm. Not only in in that moment is it really fun. I mean, I love hearing people's stories. Mm -hmm. I love learning and listening and giving people the space that they can talk to me. You know, I love it. And Mm. it also, I guess, is an extension of what you're talking about, just being in some way of small service to another mm-hmm. person by hearing yeah. them just for a moment, yeah. whatever their reality is. And I agree that it comes from your family. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we learn it pretty young and we learn it from observing those mm-hmm. that we respect and care about. And I'm sorry to hear about your mum, but it does yeah. sound like a really amazing gift and legacy that she has given you. Yeah. Yeah. And my sister and I both say, like, we feel that, a way that we, you know, when we're grieving still and then just missing her, like a way that we can remember her is by kind of embodying that spirit that she brought into the world in the way that we live our own lives with our own families and friends and, and workplaces and stuff. So it's a, a nice way to think about that, you know, she's passed the baton onto us and we'll pass it on to others and the way that we show up doesn't make it easy, but it's, it's, a, a, no. it's a nice way to say that, you know, she's still here kind of with us in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a way of keeping in contact with her, isn't it? Mm, and yeah. I think it was the same with that conversation, not that I'm grieving in the same way, but that mm. it was the same with that conversation with my aunt. It connected me in a way with my ancestry, you know, and I thought, well, mm. how interesting that we do this mm. in families, that we, mm-hmm. without even realising it, the way that we are as parents, the way that we're living, we are giving our children a blueprint yeah. every day, you know, yeah. and not in a pressured way. I don't mean that in a you must be perfect way. <laughs> I mean yeah. that in a, you know, living from the heart and living with those values and embodying those values day to day, whether it's with a big project like Forever Projects or whether it's with talking to the girl in the coffee mm. shop, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's powerful. And yeah. that acknowledgement of connection is powerful, you know. Yeah, And yeah. she started doing maths. You'll like this as a maths teacher. <laughs> After that, we started talking about grandparents. And she started to do maths in the car. She was like, so I had, she said, I have four grandparents. I said, yeah, you've got eight grandparents, actually. You've got two. No, I got confused. I'm not great with maths. But anyway, she was like, doing the maths. And she was, you know, doing the exponential maths. She was like, okay, oh, yeah. I have two then I have four, then I have eight, then I have, oh my gosh, 200. And, you know, she was, <laughs> that's how many great, great, great grandparents I have. She couldn't believe it. Yeah, and I think they're cool. all of the people who mm. lived to create you, you know, like it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a nice little off track comment. Yeah. But it's good, always good to digress a little bit. Totally. So, coming back to your journey now, I'd love to hear mm. a little bit more about what happens then. You get to Tanzania. Yeah, to, to Tanzania, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we uh, and we doubled down our research and thinking about if we were going to live in a country where where foster care for children that needed that as a last resort was possible, then we'd want to make sure that the country was right. 
safe to live in and the, whether if there was you know, immigration laws and all sorts of stuff, all that, you know, things that you would check out. Yeah. So, so we, we made contacts already with an organization that really inspired us. They, they were a baby home for abandoned and malnourished children in Western Tanzania, but they kind of said their vision was a day where they closed the door because this was not a problem anymore where because, you know, the bean wow. system is changing where children were never needing to be abandoned in the first place. That really resonated with our values in terms of adoption being an option for children who had no other option for or hope for family mm-hmm. of their own, but but that, that was working kind of to to mitigate that being an issue in the first place. So yeah, we were in contact mm-hmm. with them and we'd shared that when we moved to Tanzania, obviously we we're working residents and so on. So we connected with the social welfare system there and we'd be making ourselves available so to children who needed that home, but also if there were siblings that were in danger of being separated, biological siblings mm-hmm. that we'd be open to that. And so six months of living and working there, there were three children that are in a now, adopted three children, Shay, Charlie, and Jabari, who, yeah, that they were in that situation where they'd been abandoned and needed a family. And the hope was that that family could take all three. And so wow. we went from a family of two, a four and one year old, to four and four one year olds over wow. at the end of, 20, end of 2010. So that was a lot of, you can imagine, like that many kids, let alone in East Africa, with like, no, we had to quickly get our, health, get our hands on a big washing machine and, and dry to get through all the, Nappies and stuff. So yeah, anyway, that was the that was the, the the kind of turning point in our in our story as a family. Yeah, that's amazing. And they're how old now? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. At the time of recording, we have so Shay and Charlie are twins. They're twelve. They'll be thirteen next month. And their older biological brother Jabari's uh, thirteen, fourteen, going on yeah, fourteen in, in January. So um, there's this period from October through to February, where sorry, January, where we've got four of the same age. <laughs> so yeah, as of end of October, we'll have four 13 year olds in our home, plus the six, 16 and eight year olds. So yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Plenty, plenty of, ne- never a dull moment. <laughs> never a dull And we're back. We just had to do a quick shift of headphone situation. <laughs> so you might hear now Mark's lovely, warm, clear voice coming through. So thank yeah, you, Mark. Thank so you. I'm curious now, at what point does it change from being you're there to foster children to, oh, hang on, there's more we can mm. do? What happened? Yeah, I think it was the, from our personal perspective and being a contribution to that was the, definitely the day we walked out of the baby home, starting that fostering process with our three. And whilst that's a beautiful moment in their story because of the you know, situation they're leaving and going into and joining a family, it's it's so hard walking past 57 other children who are just there and aren't, aren't going to that family. Yeah. You know? and so. So I think that, that, and then the question you kind of, that lingers with you, not just at that moment, but ongoing is like, what would need to have changed in these kids, in our kids' biological mum's story so that their biological mother was never in that situation in the first place. So I think that for us personally was how do we, how can we be a contribution to that problem being solved so that kids aren't in that circumstance. But then the great thing was that the baby home we'd adopted from, as I'd shared, they were really passionate about keeping families together and they'd already started testing and running some pilot projects with some of the women in the community that were kind of just before that crisis point of being separated from their children. And so, yeah, so that that was the kind of point for us where we were like, well, the local teams are testing this out and it's starting to work. Yeah, unfortunately, the place we started fostering our kids from, it was called Forever Angels Baby Home and they had this plan to, to start catching women in crisis before they're at that point of tragically being separated from their kids and making that decision. So they did identified there was a 12-month kind of project that they could create that would help catch these women in crisis, provide nutrition for their child, provide immediate 
improvements to their quality of life, but then help them set up a small business in their village so that after 12 months, the child was weaned, healthy and chubby, and then they had this business that would provide a self-sustaining future to their family ongoing. So these stories were just, you know, incredible. Just starting to sprout up and and they were really excited about this work and saying what we need is funding to really scale it up and test if it can happen not just in this particular part of Tanzania but in other areas so so we just then thought well that we can be a contribution not by doing the work obviously these amazing people know their culture and people better than we do but what we can do is share this story with our friends and family at home so we thought let's just run a, a fundraising event a one-off yeah. night and uh, so we did that in 2012 raised 16 grand in an evening and 100% of that was able to be sent straight to the to the partners that we fund and we thought that was just as a one-off thing but as we were sharing earlier like you never know where your story is going and you just yeah. ask yourself well what's the next right thing I can do yeah. and it doesn't need to be finished or perfect or whatever it's just what's the next step I can take forwards that's yeah. aligned with our values and the kind of way we want to show up in the world and just see what happens. And that was the start of Forever Projects. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And did you ever at any point in that process, were you thinking, I don't feel ready to do this. I'm not quite sure I can pull this off. Did you have doubts? Totally. I mean, we, I think we, well, you always do, right? Like you never stop doubting. Like, you know, right. I woke up this morning and there's a big project we're working on. I'm like, are we, are we able to do this? Like right. at, at the point where we stop doubting, we're probably not pushing ourselves in our causes and yeah. in our work as, as, as far as we can. But as an example, we, we wanted to run like a raffle, you know, yeah. just what do you do when you're doing a charity fundraising event? I guess you do a raffle. So, yeah. you know, we, we remember like designing these terrible looking tickets on Microsoft <laughs> Word. And then I thought, wait, I know someone who knows design much better than this. So contacted my friend, Ben, who's in our, our creative director. And, you know, within a couple of hours, he'd sent something back by the internet from Australia and we were still living in Tanzania and said, oh, does this look a bit better? And it was just beautiful. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, you know, so you, you doubt whether you can do something, but you just start. And I think yeah. it's that you start and then you also invite other people in and say, hey, here's my, you know, very average attempt at this particular thing, but I know you do this much <laughs> better. Would you like to be part of this journey too? And so that, that idea of inviting people to consider what's in their hands, what they're good at, and how they can join our community to to leverage that as a force for good. I think that that also was at the heart of that very first, you know, inviting Ben to get in, involved because it's uh, that's that's how our community's grown. It's by everyone considering what what they have and how they can co- contribute to the story too. Yeah, that really struck me when you spoke when you said, "What do you have in your hands?" Because I did the same thing when you were speaking. I thought, oh, "I don't know what I've got to offer this." You know, like I'm not in a position to donate a lot of money and become a key funding. You know, mm-hmm. so I guess I can't really help. And then you said this thing about we just ask people to use whatever they have in their hands, and I thought, well, I have a blog, mm-hmm. you know, a long running blog that I could use as a platform for you to spread your message. I have a podcast. I mm-hmm. have the ability to interview you. You know, and that's how we got to this point. And totally. It immediately made me think about the way that often when we are collaborating Mm. and especially if we have self-doubt, we can sometimes slip into that thinking, which I believe is erroneous, which Mm. is that we are imposing on another person Mm. if we ask them to be involved in something. You know, like Mm. I I don't want to impose. I don't want to put them out. I don't want to feel, you know, let them feel pressured by my request. The Mm. thing is when I get asked to be involved in something, either it's a no, that's not for me, which is no dramas. Thanks for mm-hmm. asking. Mm-hmm. Or it's thank you so much for thinking of me. Totally. I'd love to be involved. It feels good to be asked. And yet often we think, I guess, 
in our culture or I don't know that collaborating is somehow sometimes asking for help can be seen as a sign of weakness or we mm. think it's a sign of weakness in us and so we don't ask. Mm. And it's yeah. such an opportunity miss. It's such a shame really because there's so much that can be done just by that little question. Yeah. Would you like would you like to be involved? Would you like to help me with this? And That's it. I've had a, yeah, it's beautiful. And it's something I think a lot of, it's becoming more common to collaborate. Mm. You know, we're getting more to be in a sort of collaboration culture in business mm. in certainly in the business I'm in and in your, you know, mm-hmm. for projects is a collaboration culture for sure. And mm-hmm. so it's beautiful to see. I've, I've been a collaborator my whole life and always wondering like, why is it so weird? Why do people think it's so strange? You know, it make to me, it's just a no brainer to work yeah. like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe that's a bit about our legacy as well, about what we what we saw growing up. Yeah, and I think there's there's times where we let ourselves and our own insecurities, you know, like, like you said, like I don't want to ask how this come across will look, look like I'm an imposter, no. so I won't. Or we're worried that we're going to come across salesy and something that Tracy shared out of the comments we made it was really, I can't remember the exact words, but I wrote them down around sales is simply inviting someone to connect in with you and where you're headed based on, but it, but it has to start with empathy. So to go, okay, yeah. who is this person I'm thinking about? Where are they going? What do they value and what do they want? And does yeah. collaboration actually help accelerate where they're going and alignment of values? And if so, it's not an ask or a sell, it's an invitation to say, and and, and as we said earlier, like it's they're going to feel seen like, oh, wow, that person really has done, yeah, they've thought about me and where I'm going and, and they've invited me to be part of that. And you're actually, I think in the best collaborations, you're, you're actually showing up to offer to solve their problem but in a way that solves right. as well. Uh, Total so. win-win. And I think I think that those also, uh, what that's really about is also service, you know, like how can we serve and how can we serve our higher ideals, their higher ideals together, mm-hmm. you know. And totally. then some, so often there's a synergy. I know there's something I'm doing. I've done it for three years now where I'm a panellist, an expert panellist for the Clean and Conscious Awards in Australia. And oh, cool. I was so chuffed to be asked to do that and it, they just – sort me out from the blog that I write and it's been such a pleasure to do it Mm. and it's it's not like there's any massive reward like you get some things that you try out and you you test them out and you review them you know Mm -hmm. it's no big deal really but it was just actually the the fact that they came to me and said our values align with your values Mm -hmm. and we want you involved Mm -hmm. it just has always been so exciting to me when that sort of thing happens because you go Oh, I found my people, you know, yeah. it's about that thing about, okay, I found other people who are in service of this thing that's yeah. greater than us. You know, it's yeah. not really about me. It's not really about them. It's about we've got this shared value. Mm. And I think when we share values with people and we can step in and serve those higher values, it's mm-hmm. actually kind of a powerful experience as well. Not only yes. Is it? I think you get better results as mm-hmm. well because you have people working together. Yeah. But you get to exercise all those things we're talking about. You get to exercise living in service of a higher passion. You get to mm. exercise empathy and leading with empathy, and that's all great stuff, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think you do that really well, Mark. Like when yeah. you spoke you. at that convention, I felt like you did that really well. And leading with the idea of you know we're all in a story, we mm-hmm. all have stories. I thought that was really cool. And how long have you been doing that for now, the Forever Projects? Yeah, so we we ran a couple of fundraisers annually for those couple of years from the first one from 2012 till 2015. Then we we noticed, and we know it again, it's in that story framework going, okay, we've taken one step after another and we're noticing this is 
certainly fueling the mission of the working teams there, but also it's it's really adding value to people in Australia who wanted to be generous and now they found a way to do that. So 2015, we said, let's launch this for officially as a, as a all year round course. And we call, right. call it Forever Projects because it's the projects of Forever Angels yeah, no. Baby Home that we'd adopted from. So that was 2015. We, we launched at a music festival in Wollongong. And so th- th- we had some friends who, again, they, they said, well, what's in our hands is a music festival. We can give you some of the space that's there to create like an art installation. So we, yeah, we thought let's, let's replicate like a, a bustling Tanzanian market with like pork on a spit and little stalls and let people walk in and wander around and it'll, they'll feel like they're in Tanzania and let's let the, the senses really appeal to, yeah, transporting them there to the stories of the women and businesses they're setting up and then invite them to, to take part in it. So that was the, that was the way we launched. And, and I think that's been interesting as we've gone then, you know, the years from that growing our from projects community like we've gone from creating this space in a physical location with a you know limited number of people that try and invite them in through storytelling and not use guilt or obligation but inspiration and story and now digitally we're doing the same thing where we're just saying well instead of it being an art installation in a physical place it's a website we've got communications channels that can mean we can reach anyone in the world if we want to and then how do we continue to use creative cool. storytelling to invite people into that into that story if it resonates with them yeah Mm, that's awesome and I I like the way you set it up I mean it just sounds to me like the results that you're getting are really the maximum results you could get with the minimum resources you know like you've got a clever setup can you talk to us a bit about the way you've set it up yeah it's really clever yeah so we identified after launching maybe six to 12 months in that we were really getting some traction but that we needed to actually pay the people who were generously using their time to do the the work, the creative work and then the fundraising. And so, but we, we didn't want to take any money from the funds that were being raised to pay for those Australian operational costs. We, we felt that one of our unique selling points as a charity was the confidence that a donor had that when they gave 50 bucks, every cent was reaching Tanzania. So what we did was went back to that, that group that we'd formed in the early days at those annual fundraisers and said, would you form our core community of donors, would you actually give directly to our operational costs here to help, to help fuel our team to reach new donors, new donors at a, at a, at a greater mm-hmm. scale? Yeah. So that was the kind of start of our hundred percent model in mid in March, 2017. We said from this point on, every donation that comes in from the public, well, it'll continue to go to Tanzania because we now have operational costs and they're covered by this, this core group. So that was right. a really important step to say this this is a way that we're going to kind of set up our business in a way that's, um, yeah, it's, it's meeting the needs, I guess, of every stakeholder in the in the organization from staff through to our donor community, through to the teams in Tanzania uh, to make sure that all that was kind of working well. So I think that's really important to get that architecture of your of your business or your organization right at the start. And as we've, we've talked about, like, does it, mm. does it support, does the architecture of your business or charity, does it support the values? that you want to show up in the world with. And if it doesn't, then you're going to have problems from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And and did you say that's about six years, was it, from when you began till now? Yeah, so we started, we launched for a project in 2015. We, we kicked off that 100% right. model in about March 2017. So that's been going for about okay, five, from- five years. Yeah, and, and we've seen, we celebrated the five-year milestone of that core community who fund our operational costs. We celebrated that back in May and we've seen at that point $450,000 donated to our operations in Australia. And then our teams use that to inspire 1.5 million of donations. That's amazing. And we're 
so stoked to be able to say that every cent of that 1.5 million has reached the project and it's enabled the teams to not just operate in the area where we adopted our children from, but they've now since scaled to six locations across the country. And we've seen nearly 1,300 women and more than 1,650 babies kept together as families because of this work. So it's, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's amazing to think that back to that day that we walked out at the baby home, thinking about those kids that were there that were, were separated from their families. And to think that there's now, you know, 1,650 babies that weren't put in that situation because of this working ahead of the problem. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and, I'd love to know a bit about the roles. Like, so you mm. yourself and your wife are the leaders of the organization. What's the breakdown there? What What's your, where do you shine? Where does she shine? Yeah. Well, so, so Anna's, like I said, she's a school counselor. So she's, she works here as a week in counseling and she's, she's one of our board members and has actually just finished writing a book right. about our journey, which hopefully will be, I'll be accessible next year. But yeah, her role is more in like a governance kind of board role that I right. work three days a week as the, I guess the founder CEO kind of. Really, my role is to have close connection with the team in Tanzania to make sure we're communicating really truthfully and clearly what their vision is, and then allow that vision to inspire donations, both in those on the coordination side, but also the, the public donations. And then really think through how do we build a team that's going to best make the most of that of that operational yeah, budget that we out. have here. And so, so the team we currently have is it's real strong and creative. So Ben, so my co-founder, he, you know graphic design by trade, but just nerds out on story. So everything around brand, storytelling, but with a real flair for tech as well and how to enable tech to hold up good storytelling and amplification. So Ben, and then we've got a couple of contractors in copywriting, social media management, videography, and then our trusty accountant who is the backbone (laughs) of our team. So that's we're a team of six and then then Adder and a few other members on the board. So That's awesome. And what's your other two days a week? What are you doing those other two days? Yeah, so I still teach part-time maths on the side. So You do. So we're all, so you, me and your wife are all doing two-day-a-week. That's funny, isn't it? I'm also an educator two days a week. I think it is quite addictive. Yeah, are you primary, secondary? High school. Yes. What's your subject? What's your KLA? Well, it changes. Okay. I was trained in history, modern history. Oh, so that was my history. original bachelor degree, but that was yep. 1990 to 93. Okay. So by the time I did my teaching qualification, which was only in 2014, not that long mm-hmm. ago, I actually had I had to do history as my main core subject because that was mm-hmm. my bachelor degree. So if yep. you do post-grad, you have to follow that. Yep. But I've done very little history yeah, teaching. Right. I've actually ended up this year teaching woodwork oh, and cool. food and multimedia. Awesome. And next year, who knows? I might end up in literacy support. I might, you know, I just kind of go wherever. I'm mostly at the same school and yep. they've kind of adopted me. So That's it's cool. pretty good though. I do enjoy it and I do enjoy actually breaking up the week. I mean, mm. what I really like about what we're saying here is that you and me and your wife have all got this thing that we love like I have Mm -hmm. a business I absolutely love also Mm -hmm. but I do find it helps to step away from it a couple of days a week I think it's really actually good for your mental health it's good for your perspective it's Mm -hmm. good for me anyway it's good for working out the priorities in my business so I don't laugh around I've only got limited time right so it does make me more strategic which I am not naturally strategic so Mm. That's a good incentive to be more careful with my time. And I just 
love that it normalizes. You don't have to kind of be an all-in startup CEO, you know, that's not necessarily the only way to run a project that's these right. days. Yeah. You're allowed to go, okay, I want two days for the kids, two days mm-hmm. earning something, doing something else, and three days on my passion project. You know, I think that's great balance for me. Definitely, yep. Yeah. yeah, and I, yeah, and I think works. as we were saying, you know, before we started recording, like the we can define success however we want to in terms of mm. how quickly do we want to grow, by how much do we want to grow, why do we want to grow, how do we measure that growth? Like that's that's all up to us to decide, us and our teams. And and if we give away those metrics to someone else to impose on us, then yes. then that's 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 a dangerous kind of moment, I think. So to to be really clear on yep. values first, what are we what are we kind of what value are we wanting to add first and foremost to our families and then, you know, the people around us and then our businesses. But yeah, I think we there's, there's so much freedom in being able to do that. But I love what you're saying about constraints as well. I think you hear a lot of stories in the startup world where someone might have a great idea and then potentially just through the network or whatever it is, they end up with a ton of you know venture funding or it might be, and they've got more resources than they would have expected, but they're not forced through constraints to be necessarily efficient or I'm mean, right. sure there's accountability there but when you've yeah when, maybe less conscious of it yeah and so I think sometimes the constraints imposed can force you to get creative you know if you were asked yeah you know you've got a whole wall and any color you want in any medium do a mural or you've got one square meter and you've got three colors and it's charcoal yeah or whatever like yeah the constraint actually means it, it might create something more beautiful and it, it might be forces the creativity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. innovation yeah. And also it normalizes slow growth, you know, and I think when I first started this sort of entrepreneurial journey, I quit teaching and I, mm-hmm. and I gave it like, I've got to do this five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week. I've got to grind, grind, grind. Mm-hmm. And that first year, yeah, I got some things going, but it actually, I realized after 11, 12 months, I don't want to be doing this you know, I don't want it to be something that grows really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Like I was initially defining success with money. That was it. I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. if it makes money, it's successful, you know. Mm. I've now realized that for me, and this is quite recent, I've kind of put it into these words, that for me, the priority is first of all, lifestyle. And I include mm-hmm. in that my family mm-hmm. and and the way that we live. And secondly, impact, mm. the impact that my actions have and my business mm-hmm. has. And third, income. Mm-hmm. So it's lifestyle impact income. Mm, and when I started, it's definitely not in that order. Mm. It was, I have to make money now because otherwise I'm not validated as a business person. That mm. was the honest yeah. truth of it. Yeah. And what I've realized is that's really a vast misconception and mm. a great sort of, I guess, dumbing down of, of what's possible, you know? Yeah. And that's very freeing. I think mm. when we go, okay, like you say, we can define our own success. We can actually choose the way we do this, how long it takes us mm. to build something. And actually slow growth also allows you to, I guess, piece things together in a way that you want them to be more mm-hmm. carefully and mm. more consciously and more, I don't know, meticulously in a way. Yeah, And I don't think I was doing that to begin with. I was just like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and, and sort of doing it really haphazard and like almost a little mm. desperately. And, mm. and now I'm much more in the space of, okay, here's the thing. I want it to be amazing. I'm going to take the time to build it so that it's amazing. And yeah. then those that need it or want it will come. Yes. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah. And it's more of a crafting process. And mm. um, that seems much more in integrity to me. Mm. Yeah. But it's not without challenges. I'm not saying it's easy to do it that way. There's a juggle. There's a, you know, I am constantly thinking, should I be focusing more on just making <laughs> money? Like, isn't that what a business is? Yeah. You know, there's all of that. And it's yeah. like, honestly, yes, it's important for sustainability, of course. I mean, in your case, it is It is your business is to make donations. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just think it's not the only thing. So mm. it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, we, Anna, I often talk about this, like, with the lifestyle and family, like, it's it, if we're at a point where we're so busy or stressed or whatever it is from from charity work that we're not you know the best parents we can be for our kids who we have adopted like and obviously all of our kids but like what a you know awful situation that would be where if our own adopted children were like oh yeah our parents were stressed or busy or absent because they were too busy trying to raise funds for other children like us like that's that that's a very real tension that we feel and we're like yeah first and foremost like you can kind of tell yourself a story that ah who else is going to do this but really when you think about you there's value add but then i like thinking about unique value add like what's the value that you and you you only can add and really like it's it's your immediate family yeah and you know potentially a few relationships beyond that but other than that we need to take some humble pie and say like i'm a small contributor here yeah and yeah, just to, to keep them in perspective, I think super important. So I like that that framework's cool that you've shared there. Lifestyle, impact, income. Mm. Yeah, I imagine you have a pretty huge banner in your office that says "Charity Starts at Home," just to remind you of all of that. That's 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 a, that's I should have that sign up on the wall. Like that's yeah yeah just like everywhere to remind you. Yeah yeah. But it is easy. I think it is really easy, and I relate to that as well. That it's easy to go okay. So I run a business that helps support mothers not to be run down and to be present with their family, mm-hmm. and you know, so that we can create generations that are not growing up in fight or flight and not mm-hmm. bringing generational trauma through to to mm. the future you know and and that's a really big and then there I am working you know who would I be if I'm like working my guts I have to consciously and like my family this year they haven't seen me that much because I've been training for a black belt Mm -hmm. I've had to really just go okay well it's pretty important that I do this for now Mm. but post that grading uh, yeah I'm refocusing really back into the family because I've really noticed it's been hard and mm. something I've had to do, but it's it's been challenging to yeah. not have that time with them. And you only get, you know, not that much time. I know yeah. with my 19-year-old, it's not that much time yeah. they're with you, yeah. you know, yeah. so value yeah. it and enjoy it and do yeah. whatever you have to do to, to make, you know, work for you. Yeah, 100%. Um, but I think that, again, it's it comes back to the values, doesn't it? Mm, no, hundred percent. But is that how can people get involved in what you're doing? Tell me a little bit about how you structure that and how you invite people in. Yeah, well, as I said, what's in your hands is the question we ask uh, people. So we invite people to consider: is it time that they have? So as an example of that, in October we've got a big campaign, "Watch Your Kilimanjaro," where people, you know, create a physical challenge: running, swimming, hiking, or it could be reading, doing puzzles, something that intersects with your interests in a way that. One second. So tell me, how can people get involved if they want to get involved in what you're doing? Yeah, so I'd, I'd lead it out with that, that saying, what's in your hands? So we believe everyone has something in their hands they can use and leverage as a force for good, whether it's their time, their talent, their skills, or, or money. And we've got a community that's yeah raised that $1.5 million as of that milestone by doing a combination of one of those three or more. 
So yeah, so time, it could be running a fundraiser. As an example, we've got a campaign coming up in October, Watch Your Kilimanjaro, that invites people to do a physical challenge. Or it could be something that's you know puzzles or something you love doing, but you, you challenge yourself with it and then invite your friends to you know back your generosity and your bravery to, to raise funds for the women in our project. So that's that's my, at mykilimanjaro.org. I'm personally going to be climbing Mount Kira in Wollongong 15 times in a in a row, 15 days straight to kind of match the elevation of Mount Kilimanjaro. So lots of cool challenges, people doing like 15, lots of 15 minute yoga sessions or, you know, 6,000 puzzles in a week. So it's a really fun month where our community uses their time. Talent, it could be something like this, but like you're doing like you're using your talent at, at sharing stories and contact the community and inviting me to be part of that. And so it could be people doing something like that with us or it could be money. And so the the way to, I mean, obviously um, any donation is going to be extremely helpful and 100% of that will reach the project. The key, when we think about our local partners in Tanzania, what they really need is like reliable and, uh, and unrestricted funding. And so we're building a, a monthly giving community at Forever Projects where people might show up at five, 10, 30 a month or more if they can. And then that money collectively as part of a wider group of people that are giving gives them that runway they can count on to continue expanding their work across the country. So yeah, and all those Brilliant. are on our site at, at foreverproject.org. Awesome. Thanks. I'm going to put a link to that in the notes beneath this podcast as well. And Mark, thank you so much for taking some time to hang out with us today. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you and your team and your lovely wife are doing. And it's been a real pleasure to chat about it with you. And I hope you get some really good interest from the audience that hears this podcast. I have a feeling you will. And um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And thanks to you too, because I think these conversations are just so nourishing. Like, you know, we're in the the trenches in our work or in our day-to-day. It's like nice to kind of come off the air and say, that's right. This is where we've come from. And then oh, here's someone that's on the same journey as as I am, and and that that values that we're sharing. So it's yeah, thanks so much. It's it's the the fuel that keeps us going. Conversations like this, absolute thanks. pleasure. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Great to have you on. Thank you. Bye. See ya. This podcast is produced independently and made just for you. So if you have enjoyed it, please do leave me a review. And you can put in the review a request for a topic or even a nomination for a particular guest if you would like me to interview someone in particular. Thank you so much for your support. If you really love it, uh, you can also share it and subscribe to it and follow it. See you soon.